0: section twenty of the roman triumvirates by charles merivale this librivox recording is in the public domain read by pamela Nagami. chapter ten the second triumvirate octavius antonius and lepidus part one while this war of words was raging octavius was silently undermining the consul's power with more effective weapons with largesses and promises he was seducing the soldiers from his rival's standards antonius learnt with alarm that the troops which he had himself transported to brundisium were falling under the influence of the young caesar's emissaries on october third he departed in haste to stay their defection at the same moment octavius also quitted rome and visited the colonies which caesar had planted in campania umbria and the cisalpine he called the veterans to arms in the name of their beloved captain and collected among them a force of ten thousand men at the same time the heir of the tyrant and usurper was worming himself into the confidence of the unhappy patriot cicero who was eager to catch at any hope of support and through him he worked upon the main body of the Senate. To Cicero he addressed himself in frequent letters, praying him to return to Rome and once more save the state. He promised him regard, admiration, reverence. He loaded him with compliments and caresses. He called him father. Antonius felt that the time was come for vigorous action. The young stripling was an enemy not unworthy of his utmost exertions he hastened to ariminum to check the insubordination of the troops then quartered on the frontier of the cisalpine he rebuked them for the leaning they had shown to his rival he offered them a donative but he had fallen short of the spirit of the times while he promised four hundred sesterces the captain of the future had assured them of two thousand apiece antonius was however still master of the ancient instruments of discipline he smote their centurions with the axe to the number of three hundred if we may believe the furious declamations of cicero while his imperious consort fulvia stood by and stimulated his vengeance upon the orator's tirades no reliance can be placed but it seems that by whatever means antonius brought some battalions together and repaired with them as a bodyguard to Rome. On his arrival, he summoned the Senate to hear his charge against Octavius of raising troops without official authority, for the youthful adventurer was invested with no magistracy. At the same moment, however, he learnt that two of his own legions had gone over to his enemy, and that the city could be held against him there was no place for the consul in the senate-house or the forum he must retire to a distance and organize his resources as sulla and marius caesar and pompeius had each done in turn he had given himself the government of the cisalpine for the year which was about to begin his first duty as legitimate proconsul would be to drive out decimus brutus whose commission to the same government He declared to be by authority cancelled he assumed the character of a defender of the republic and summoned the pretender who was already on the spot to withdraw when he arrived at Ariminum, his forces amounted to four legions lepidus who professed to act in concert with him was advancing from spain with four more pollio was still beyond the pyrenees with three others and plancus in the further gaul had under him an equal number these were the forces on which antonius deemed that he might rely in his contest with the party of the liberators but these legions were still widely separated the soldiers were disloyal or indifferent and their leaders had each his own private ends to serve Decimus, from his central position might intrigue with one or other of them and cut them off from mutual support but octavius was now a military power also having himself raised or detached from antonius as many as five legions though possessed of no magistracy and therefore of no legal imperium still citizens of all classes thronged about him from various causes and placed themselves at his disposal he addressed the Senate with a well-toned manifesto which immediately recommended him to them as their true champion. Stationing himself at Arettium so as to cover the capital from the attacks of every other competitor, he awaited the commencement of hostilities in the north of Italy, prepared himself to side with either party, or fall upon the survivor of the strife as circumstances might direct. Such were the complications of this triple contest at the end of November in this fatal year. Cicero, whose courage had revived, was working with restless activity among the senators and citizens at home, striving to consolidate all parties against Antonius. He exhorted Decamus, he caressed Octavius. Doubtless his real disposition inclined to the faction of the Liberators, and he might think Decamus the ablest and not the least honest of the number. He could not fail to regard with dislike the nephew and heir of Caesar, but he had been partly won by his dissimulation, and he was content to make use of him as an ally, in full belief that he would either fall from his own weakness or easily succumb to the superior statecraft of a politician so experienced as himself. He engaged the Senate to bestow its honours upon Octavius and give him military command. But he trusted much more to the loyalty of the consuls-elect, Herdius and Pansa, to raise a force to direct and control him, until the time when the heads of the Republican Party, Brutus, Cassius, Trebonius, and Kimber, might be in a position to return to the West with overwhelming armies meantime his efforts were chiefly concentrated on crushing antonius the moment had arrived for the publication of the second philippic a harangue never delivered by word of mouth but sent abroad as a written pamphlet after being submitted to the inspection of private friends and polished to the keenest edge by repeated touches from the great master himself it was the pride of cicero to compare himself to demosthenes the orator and the patriot and to represent himself as contending against the enemy of rome as the athenian had held in check the invader of greece the speech was consummate as a political instrument as well as a rhetorical composition it spoke in decided language branding caesar as a despot but antonius as a monster of iniquity the author himself it represented as the stay of the commonwealth general object of hatred to every enemy of his country it called on the citizens to arm with frantic earnestness the effect corresponded to the energy of the blow the picture drawn of antonius struck the people with horror the senate was at last moved with courage to defy him the consuls though personally attached to him were fixed at once in the interests of the republic by the applause which hailed this stirring proclamation of its wrongs cicero not unjustly elated by the shouts which echoed around him believed himself now the mediator between all parties the actual chief of the commonwealth it was the noblest as well as the purest triumph of any roman since the days of camillus or africanus it was the just reward of so many years of self-devotion and all our painful sense of the weaknesses by which that career had been disfigured and which even at this moment marred its splendour may fairly give way to the pleasure of contemplating it but antonius replied to words by deeds he had quietly taken the field and confined Decimus to the walls of mutina cicero urged the senate and the senate at his behest urged octavius to attack him but while he yet abstained from active measures the friends of antonius pleaded for forbearance and the new consuls made yet another effort to preserve peace envoys were sent negotiations were opened but all failed cicero was loud and furious and was sustained by the favorable accounts which he received from brutus and cassius and the prospect of aid from sextus his influence proved effectual early in the year forty three hirdius quitted the city and joined his consular army to the force of octavius pansa reached them in the spring with fresh levies in the absence of both the consuls cicero was allowed and encouraged to take the helm of the commonwealth he poured forth in rapid succession his animated harangues against the public enemy he breathed confidence into the desponding and redoubled the efforts of the valiant clothed in the garb of war he traversed the streets calling for contributions to the common cause and filling the treasury with fines demanded from the malcontents at the same time he maintained an active correspondence with the chiefs in the provinces assured each in turn of the constancy of all the others and brooded far and wide the high spirit of the veterans the devotion of the people the fidelity of the generals and their abundant resources. Yet to the last, the Senate declined to recognize in these movements a state of civil war. Even when they charged Octavius and the consuls to raise the siege of Mutina, they would only characterize the contest as a Gallic tumult or a threatened outbreak of the national enemy beyond the Rubicon. On the approach of Herdius and Octavius, antonius the assailant of Decimus, broke up from his lines before mutna and advanced towards them he still pretended indeed to negotiate but when pansa moved to effect a junction with them he suddenly turned round defeated and mortally wounded him hyrdias however was at hand to save the routed force from destruction and he gave battle to the conqueror a few days later with the support of octavius in this encounter the antonians were in their turn driven into their camp but the victorious hyrdius fell in the engagement and thus both the consuls by an unprecedented fatality were stricken down at the same moment the romans it would seem could not believe that such a strange event was mere chance medley the rumour ran that octavius had pierced hyrdius in the back with his own hand A very unlikely circumstance that he had engaged a surgeon to rub poison into ponce's wound a crime in itself less improbable but on the other hand one which it was only too easy to impute without the possibility of disproving it the student of roman history will remark that from this time the insinuation of secret assassination becomes more and more an ordinary weapon of political hostility AND HE WILL PUT HIMSELF ON HIS GUARD AGAINST IT. MEANWHILE THE CITIZENS, HIGH AND LOW, FORGOTTEN THEIR REJOICINGS AT THE VICTORY, THE DISASTER WHICH HAD ATTENDED IT. THEY CARRIED CICERO TO THE CAPITOL WITH THE LOUDEST ACCLAMATIONS. HE IT WAS THAT HAD URGED THEM TO THE WAR. IN HIM THEY RECOGNIZED THE TRUE VICTOR OF THE FIELD OF MUTINA. THEY BELIEVED THE CONTEST TO BE AT AN END. Decimus, they were assured had issued from his walls and was pursuing the routed antonians towards the alps plancus confirmed in his loyalty to the republic was doubtless descending from the north and blocking the passes into gaul at the same moment some successes of cassius against dolabella in the east the progress of brutus in macedonia and the rumoured approach of sextus by sea all concurred to increase their confidence. Before he expired, Pansa, it was said, had called Octavius to his bedside and advertised him of the hatred which the Senate really bore him and of the treachery which they meditated. He assured him that, after all, his only chance of safety lay in a prompt reconciliation with the enemy whom he had just beaten. Nor was the crafty aspirant unprepared for such counsels he had already arranged for a quarrel with Decimus, and had declared that the murder of his father caesar should never be forgiven he now let antonius understand that he had no desire to crush his father's friend he refrained from preventing the junction which he was about to make with lepidus beyond the po antonius himself was evincing the courage and fortitude under adverse circumstances for which voluptuary though he was he obtained high credit among his countrymen. He was a powerful example, says Plutarch, to his soldiers, for though he was fresh from the enjoyment of so much luxury and expense, he drank foul water without complaining and ate wild fruits and roots. He induced them in their flight to feed with him on the bark of trees and on the flesh of strange animals. Fortune seconded his energy plancus terminated his long indecision by throwing himself into the arms of the party which now since the junction with lepidus and the encouragement shown by octavius was manifestly the stronger antonius found himself at the head of twenty-three legions this was the dreadful fact to which the senate now awoke from their dream of easy triumph While expecting the arrival of Brutus and Cassius with overwhelming armies, they had sought to amuse their younger champion and at the same time to corrupt his soldiers. Cicero was himself prepared to cast away the broken instrument of his successful policy. The Senate, which had procured Octavius his election to the praetorship, now refused him the dignity of consul. Four hundred of his veterans came in a body to Rome to press his claim. THE SENATE STILL REFUSED, AND HE CROSSED THE RUBICON AT THE HEAD OF EIGHT LEGIONS. THE SENATE forbade HIM TO APPROACH WITHIN 90 MILES OF THE CITY. AT THE SAME TIME, HOWEVER, THEY YIELDED TO HIS DEMAND AND OFFERED A DONATIVE TO HIS SOLDIERS. BUT IT WAS NOW TOO LATE. THE BOLD ADVENTURER HAD DETERMINED ON HIS COURSE AND DID NOT HALT TILL HE REACHED THE GATES. The senators were appalled at this unlooked-for resolution. While putting forth a feeble show of defense, they slipped one by one into the intruders' camp. Cicero, indeed, was more constant than any, but he, too, yielded at last to the current and presented himself before Octavius. He was received with taunts for his slackness. His fears were awakened, perhaps his conscience smote him. He might remember that he had himself urged with grim levity that the young candidate should be smothered with honors, and the next night he made his escape. The people hastily assembled, pretended to elect Octavius to the consulship, and gave him a kinsman named Pettius for his colleague. This was September 22nd. On the following day he completed his twentieth year. The remnant of the senators, for many had disappeared, loaded him with flatteries and honors. They issued an empty command that Decamus should surrender to him his forces. Octavius directed the murderers of Caesar to be cited before the public tribunals, judgment passed against them by default, and they were interdicted fire and water. End of section 20